You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and on those in the tombs bestowing life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. This is our last uh, opportunity in our Sunday Gospel Reflection for me to say that. So, um, so uh, because this is the Sunday before the great feast of the ascension of our Lord into heaven, which takes place the Thursday following this Sunday, unless your diocese has Jesus staying with him a few days longer. But right. I will yeah. I mean, and I think in my diocese, diocese, he stays for 41, 43 days, 43 days. Very interesting. Yeah. And then the, the first novena, as we like to call it only lasts seven days then. So interesting. Well, <laughs> I will refrain from any comment that I might have regarding this uh, way of calculating. God yeah, bless those yeah. who can't count to 40. Hey, I'm right there with you, Father. <laughs> right there with you. But we're on the sixth Sunday of Easter, in which we're going to take a look at the Gospel of John. So give us our passages here. Annie Mitchell. All right, we'll go in chronological order. Well, kind of chronological order, I guess you could say. Uh, starting with the gospel again, John chapter 14 is what we'll be reading this weekend, verses 15 through 21. The first reading that we'll talk about second is Acts chapter 8, mm-hmm. verses 5 through 8, and then verses 14 through 17. The responsorial psalm is Psalm 66. I probably should have mentioned that first. Are we going to bridge that gap between the two? I got um, something to say. Okay, good. Something so to say. We'll go from John 14 to Psalm 66 and then Acts chapter 8. I get all discombobulated when we are in the Easter season. Yes. And then uh, our epistle is uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. So let's start in the Gospel of John. Okay, John chapter 14, you said? Yes. Okay. So flip through your Bible to John 14. We'll start with verse 15. Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you always, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot accept because it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live and you will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and observes them is the one who loves me, and whoever loves me 
will be loved by my father and I will love him and reveal myself to him. All right. So this gospel passage, Father, um, really Mm -hmm. coming on the heels of of last week's gospel that we heard at mass. So just as a a quick little reminder, um, tell us where we are in terms of context here. Well, yeah. And before I do that, I want to take a moment and I want to welcome anybody new, maybe is joining Sunday Gospel Reflections for the first time, or maybe has uh, joined us over the past few weeks or months or whatever the case may be. Um, and encourage you that if you are participating in these gospel reflections, but you are not a member of the Institute of Catholic Culture, that means you're not a signed up member. Encourage you to do that because uh, you're going to get access to like tremendous amount of teaching and uh, educational opportunities. And there's no, you know, paywall behind the paywall. If you know, it's it's all free of charge. So just go sign up. And the reason we have a membership of the institute is simply so we can make sure that we can get the stuff out to you that we're producing and that you might want to uh, take a look at. So make sure you do that. But here, yes, our whole goal here at Sunday Gospel Reflection is context is the name of the game and to give and, and to make sure that we know where we're at. And so, you know, you just, seriously, we helicopter in Sunday mass, as I always say, and boom, you're in here and Jesus is talking nice stuff, right? He's talking about love and he's got, and then, and then from there we ha- start to paint a picture in our minds about Jesus that may not actually be the proper context to what is being taught here, right? So what is the context? Because a text without a context, Annie, is? No text at all. Bingo. So here we are in chapter 14. We're in verse 15, 14, 15. And to understand then where we're at, Okay, I got confused there. I'm in, my eyes are starting to drop to the right spot in this passage. There we go. Chapter 14, verse 15. And all we need to know is for context is chapter 13, verse 1. Okay. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the, the okay, and so forth. All right. And then verse 21. We're into the Last Supper. Verse 26, Judas and the betrayal. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in verse 30, this is chapter 13, verse 30, Judas leaves. Yeah. Right. And now Jesus turns to the rest of the apostles and starts speaking his heart to them. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I really believe that this whole passage i've said this before but i'll say it again this whole passage we call jesus's high priestly prayer which goes on and on and on and on and everybody kind of wonders couldn't jesus just have said this in like one or two sentences because he seems to be saying the same thing over and over again and i think that's the best way to read all of this prayer that jesus the his, his high priestly prayer and his instruction to the apostles as his final words to his best friends he doesn't want to leave them as he says orphans and so just imagine yourself you know you're on your deathbed and you want to say the most important thing to your children and you cherish that moment and you hold on to it for as long as you can And I do believe that is the best way to go about reading this passage in a way of meditation, because really 
really, I'm going to encourage you that if you can go to Mass early this Sunday, if you can spend some time in prayer before church this Sunday, that I would suggest reading from John chapter 14, verse 31, all the way through chapter 17, verse 26. Hmm. Because really, that whole thing is Jesus's moment with them that's why and you're going to see over and over again if you do it in this way if you read this in this way jesus keeps like about to go about to get up or he gets up and then he starts talking he goes to the door and then he keeps talking he goes outside the door and he keeps talking it's it's like you know i said i think i've said this before it's like your your uh you know your grandparents your parents your best friend comes to visit you haven't seen them in a while and you your the goodbye takes forever, right? You never you don't want to say goodbye. That's what's going on here, right? Yeah. So there, there's your context that you're going to parachute into the middle of church on Sunday, and they're gonna get up and they're gonna proclaim this thing. And what you that context you want around you is that 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 moment of the Last Supper in which Jesus knows he's about to be arrested. He's gonna go to the Hidron Valley, he's gonna go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then his, his passion really is going to begin in earnest. Yeah. Okay. So let's dive into what he has to say to us, well, to the apostles, and then by extension to us this weekend, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why this, this link between love and, and obedience? Mm, Yeah, this is a good question. Well, maybe I can change your, you just changed your your uh, language on us. And I don't like it when people change our language. So okay, unless sorry. I like, unless I like it when you change your language, then I like it. So <laughs> on this case, I don't, because I think we have a very, you know, Western spiritual mentality tend to go down a road. When we talk about obedience, certain ideas start coming up, which I think there's a there's one way I think that we should read this, but I think there's another way we want to avoid reading it, okay. um, and that is and that is um, the the kind of dictator slave relationship. Right. I think Jesus is blowing that one right out of the water here. So be yeah. careful when we're using words like obedience and commandments mm-hmm. that we really use them correctly. That's why I'm sure. kind of saying okay, easy, yeah, easy. I get it. Okay. So so I'm I'm going to use the word commandment. Which you might say, oh, but that still sounds like a slave, like a dictatorship relationship, right? Yes, unless you allow the Gospels to be your context. I'm going to flip you over real quick to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verse, um, um, what do I got here? Verse 37, 22, verse 37. And I'm going to go back from 37 to verse 34. Go ahead, Annie, you give it to us. Chapter Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. All right. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? See why I want to go with commandment? Yep. Go ahead. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
Okay. Well, for, the first question is why is it that all of the all of the law and the prophets, all of the commandments, all of the Levitical, everything is summed up, is contained here. Okay. And this goes, by the way, we're doing a lot of work at the Institute this year on um, a, a number of talks on what salvation really is. Right. Um, what yeah. it, right. What, it, what, it, what how we're saved and how we conceive of salvation, how it takes place within us. And it, it all surrounds around this issue here and the commandments of Christ. So what are the commandments of Christ? Here, here's what in our gospel passage, John chapter 14, he says, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What are the commandments of Christ? Love God and love your neighbor. Okay. So now we got to think, if you love me, you will love God and you will love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have to ask a very kind of foundational philosophical question. That is what is love? And I know I've asked that before. Of course, the answer is love is the. Giving up your life to the other. Good. The giving of your life to the, to, to the one you love, right? Is no greater love has any man than to give his life for his friends. So this is the archetypical, if you will, right? What is love? Well, that's it. Giving your life for the sake of the other. Okay. That is what love is. If it, so if you love me, if you, if you, if you love me, if you, if you will give your life to me, then you will give your life to God. Yeah. And you will give your life to your neighbor. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now we're kind of breaking apart this on this. I think this is helpful, right? This is yeah, good. This is because, very helpful. Because we I hear like these this. words and they're just like, they're, we they move on and we got to stop and slow down. Now, why is this the fundamental teaching of Christ? Why is this, why are these his commands? Why is love at the center of everything? Well, because Jesus is just a great, nice guy. No, because in the first John epistle, you can flip over there, and I flip over there all the time with you guys. So if you've done this with me ad nauseum, you can kind of forward this video and skip it. But I don't, I don't suggest that you it's do that. It's always worth revisiting. It's always worth re- revisiting. Okay, first John chapter four, verse eight. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Yeah, it's repeated again in verse 18. So we know and believe that the love of the love of God has for us. The love God has for us, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Now, doesn't that sound like what Jesus is saying? Yeah. Right? So we're starting to maybe put the key into the lock and unlock the lock. Yeah. Because this, my brothers and sisters, is the center and foundation of the entire Christian revelation. And if mm-hmm. you get this piece... You can answer any question in theology. You can answer any question in apologetics. You can understand and answer anything about the gospel accounts. Because the gospels reveal to us God. And God is love. And again, I've said this many times. God is love not only in the fact that he's given his life to us, but he's actually lived a life of loving communion from all eternity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit which is the kingdom of God. Yeah, the, 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 this communion of the Holy Trinity into which we are baptized and are called to enter into. Now, this is absolutely critically important when we're talking about the ascension. We can talk about that in a minute. Well, why Jesus ascended into heaven. 
and, and it's completely related to that as it's completely related to every mystery of the life of Christ. And so, but I'm going to back up now to your basic question, your basic question, which is why is there a connection between these two? Yeah. Because they're the same thing. Mm. What Jesus is asking us to do is based upon who he is and who we are made in his image and after his likeness. So I want you, all of my Institute of Catholic Culture brothers and sisters, whether you are a Catholic and you have certain Protestant baggage, or whether you are a Protestant and have Protestant baggage, I need to tell you that Martin Luther didn't exist for 1,500 years. So the, the false dichotomy between works and faith was not a dichotomy for Jesus and the apostles. It was one reality because we are living beings who act upon who we are. As simple as that. We, 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 the, the works we do flow from who we are. Yes? What a thing is determines what it does, right? If it's a dog, it barks. And vice versa, you can come to know what a thing is by what it does. If it barks, it's a dog, right? It goes both ways. Um, and so Christians act like Christians. And what does a Christian do? What is, what is, it? What is the Christian? Well, St. Augustine says very clearly, rejoice, my brothers and sisters, for you have become not only Christians, but Christ himself. And therefore, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to act like God. For God is love. And we are meant then to be life givers. This is why the church is pro-life. Not because, you know, Paul VI woke up one day on the wrong side of the bed and decided that, that he had to write Humanae Vitae. And then make, you can't contracept anymore. And the church is, like, you can't divorce anymore. And you can't abort your babies anymore. And the church is, no, no, no. No, the church teaches what she teaches because of who we are. We are life givers because God has given his life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity. And we are made in his image after his lightning. The church is pro-life because God is pro-life. I'm not sure how I got onto that one between the link between love and obedience <laughs> or his commandments, whatever. Okay. Well, it's who we are. All right. It's who we are. It's there all linked go. to love. All right. What I else do you have it. to talk about here? Okay. Well, Another thing that Jesus says in here, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to be with you always the spirit of truth. What does it mean that the spirit is another advocate? Mm. You know, I, again, language here, I was looking up, I, I should have gone back to the Greek word. I'm sure the word that's advocate. That's fine. That's fine. But I was, I, I pulled up my trusty old RSV. Yeah. Uh -huh. And just to see what what the, the translation of the word was here in John chapter 14. Admittedly, I should have gone back and looked at the Greek text, but I don't know that much Greek anyways. So <laughs> if you're looking for a deep Bible study on Greek and Hebrew, I'm not your guy. But Father Sebastian. Father Sebastian is. But here in John in John chapter 14 in the RSV translation, and as the word counselor. Hmm. So Jesus said to the disciples, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. I will ask the Father and he will, give, he will give you another counselor to be with you always a spirit of truth, right? So 
So I, I just, I, I guess you need the word out, a counselor maybe is a little bit better for us again in our Western context, because we sure. all, we tend to have a courtroom yeah. on, uh, image of salvation, right? So what do you need an advocate for? Well, because you're being accused of something and someone needs to, to, to defend you. But I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Is Jesus is talking about living out this and not being accused, but being invited. And I think yeah. this is fundamentally important of, as he's talking to the apostles in the, in the, at the Last Supper, that uh, he will give you a counselor. Because a counselor, if I had to say what is a counselor versus an advocate, one who directs, mm-hmm. one who counsels the way forward, right? One who says, see, the, see here? See the path ahead? Take that path. Yeah. And that is truly what the Holy Spirit is for us in the church is one who comes and makes his is his home within us so that our pathway might be clear. And in fact, this is what uh, Jeremiah talks about. And we're talking about commandments and laws. Remember that the laws of the Old Testament were written on stone because of the fall. Right, not it wasn't God's original plan. God's original plan was they'd be written on our hearts. Yeah, and this is what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter thirty-one. Again, one of Father Hezekiah's favorite passages, Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one, and we're going back to all these soul-winning texts, which I love on this particular Sunday because this this text Jesus gives us gets to the center of everything. Right, go back to the fundamentals. So here we go, Jeremiah 31, 31. Go ahead, Annie. All right, Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. There you go. Okay. Okay. Now, we can can stop with that because it gives you, there you go. When the Messiah comes, right, in that day, here's what it's going to look like. And that is that the law which ultimately was given to the Jews for what purpose? And why was the law given to the Jews? Well, because they needed it. Yeah, the but based upon calf. what we just looked at, looked at in, in the gospel of Matthew, what was the purpose of the law? Love. Bingo. That's it. Now, love, love is an internal reality, right? There's a big difference between what we would consider Old Testament commandments and the law of Christ. And the big difference is not the stuff that's said, it's where it originates from, right? Mm-hmm. So we have positive law in our country that uh, helps us stay safe, right? Traffic laws or whatever the case may be, right? That are, that are very much outside of us and we adhere to them, but they're still outside of us. Yeah. 
and we interpret those laws all the time in our application, don't we? Like driving the speed limit or whatever the case may be. There's always an interpretation of what's the best situation to do in this this situation, right? Well, that's that's kind of Old Testament law, New Testament law of like, well, I, I now make it my own. Now, I not only make it my own, God makes it my own by placing it within uh, within my heart. And so the Holy Spirit is given to us as an internal reality. And this is this whole passage of what Jesus is talking about, sending an advocate to be with us. Notice how Jesus in this passage is always talking. He's, he's saying, look, this it's not like he's going to be over here telling you what to do. No, he's going to come. We're going to make our dwelling in you. You're going to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. What you are is going to change. And then you're going to act based upon what you are. Right? You're going to give up, as St. Peter says. That's why I wrote down Peter. Because St. Peter says we're going to receive a new nature. And natures allow us to act certain ways, right? Doggy nature makes a doggy do doggy kind of stuff. Christian nature, God nature, divine nature, as St. Peter says, makes us do God kind of stuff. And I'm going to stop for a second because this, this is... This is the name of the game with the ascension. I know I said that a minute ago, but it's all in the same business. Christians act ontologically different than non-Christians. Christians are able to do things which non-Christians are unable to do. Yeah? And not just the priest, by the way. You are able to do in your love for your brother something that is that is of essentially different not different in like well um well we we're, we're we kind of are nicer i guess jesus makes us nicer people no 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 it's a whole another level of niceness it's not just a matter of like on a scale like we're really nice at no ontologically of a different nature when you act toward another person you are you are making use of god's way of life the power of the holy spirit which abides in you they are meeting the tabernacle of god the only reason why the world is still very much dark is because christians aren't actually living this out intentionally and if we did like the apostles did we would be converting the world like the apostles converted the world and that's why jesus ascended into heaven which is somewhere we need to get to eventually so i'm going to stop talking because you have other questions okay well i want to before we get to uh talking about the the ascension in earnest here okay so i will full out admit i am a grammar nazi I went to journalism school, so I noticed grammar things all the time. You went to took some intensive grammar courses. They were my favorite courses in all of college. So it was really interesting to me, and perhaps I don't know, maybe confusing to me that Jesus is jumping around with his tenses here. He's like jumping from mm. future tense to present tense a lot. Like he says, mm -hmm. you know, I will give you another advocate to be with you, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot accept. And then it says, but you know him. So like he's going to give him to us, but we already know him in the present right, because right. he's remaining with us, right? He remains with you and will be in you. Like what's going on here? 
So this is a very interesting. Um, this is a very interesting question that um, comes up for us liturgically, both in the Latin tradition and in the in the Byzantine tradition, in which we have this kind of awareness that that which is in the future is now present. Hmm. Why? Because we're talking about divine things, and God exists outside of time. And when we encounter God, suddenly that which is to come is made present and yet we are living in time which means we haven't yet gotten there yet (laughs) (laughs) the kingdom of god the kingdom of heaven is at hand Hmm. and yet it's not yet right so here's where where the priest prays just after the words of institution in the liturgy of saint john chrysostom okay Remembering, therefore, this precept of salvation and everything that was done for our sake, the cross, the tomb, the resurrection on the third day, the ascension into heaven, and the enthronement at the right hand, the second and glorious coming again. Okay? Yeah. So now we have the second and glorious. This is remembering this everything that was done for our sake. Everything that was done past for our sake the second and glorious coming again what that doesn't yeah. make sense. so this happens all the time in the liturgy of saint john chrysostom and i said it's also present in the in the latin tradition when we talk about future realities as 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 present realities and past realities present reality. today christ is born today christ is risen from the dead today christ comes in glory yeah yeah um um, and, uh, and, and so, so there's this here also, but let me share with you a quotation from St. Augustine who says, but why does he speak of life as present to him and future to them? Because his resurrection preceded and theirs was to follow. His resurrection was about to take place so, so soon that he speaks of it as a present, theirs being deferred to the end of the world. He does not say you live, but you shall live because he lives. Therefore, we shall live. As by man came death, by man came also the resurrection from the dead. And so we have um, uh, this this kind of convoluting of time stamps, <laughs> which drives people. I wonder if Jesus just really enjoys toying yeah. with us in this right. regard. Like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Okay. So then let's talk about the ascension in earnest. How does this reading set us up for Ascension Thursday? Um, okay. I guess liturgically speaking. The key to the ascension is the same key that helps us unlock every mystery of the life of Christ. And that is, it is no wonder that Jesus is enthroned at the right hand of the Father. He never left. It's not as though God was divided against God or like somehow the Trinity became a duality for, you know, or, you know, (laughs) no. The Trinity wasn't, no, not at all. Not at all. What Jesus, the mystery of the life of, of the, the, of, of Jesus, the mystery of the incarnation of the second person of the Holy Trinity is a human mystery in this sense that the great mystery that takes place is that it happens in our humanity. As I said many times, it's no wonder that God rose from the dead. He's the living God. Like, yeah, exactly. Death can't That's not hold. a miracle, right? Right. Um, but uh, but what is what is miraculous 
is that he does it with our human nature. And this is true about the ascension also. And I just want to remind everyone that we do have a talk at the Institute of Catholic Culture on the ascension of Jesus Christ that I did some time ago. It is called, Who is the King of Glory? A Biblical Study of the Ascension of Christ. I had a lot of fun doing that that study. You know, I'm not, I'll tell you, be honest with you. I, I don't teach a lot at the Institute because a lot guys a lot smarter than me. But I have fun when I prepare them because I learn so much and I learned a ton on this study of the ascension. So I uh, point you in that direction. But uh, for now, let's just turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 16. John 16, 16. And this is still part of this discourse that we are reading part of in our gospel passage for today. A little while and you will see me no more. Again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you shall not see me. A little while, and you shall see me. Because I go to the Father. They said, chapter 16, verse 7. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. Now, now this is why I was saying this a mystery of, of our humanity. Jesus is going to ascend to the Father in our humanity and enthrone our humanity in the life of the Holy Trinity. Wow. And then the mystery of the ascension takes place. He will act in and through our humanity to give the gift of the Holy Spirit to all of us. Wow. Now, this, my friends, is the original plan of God. That Adam and Eve in the beginning were meant to be priests of paradise, to bless creation and to share God's life that they had within them with the entire created order. Yes? Jesus is going to enthrone our humanity so that in and through us, he might do what we were supposed to do in the very beginning. And that is live as kings and queens of the kingdom of God in the image and likeness of the one who is the king of all. Yes, this is why in Ephesians chapter four, if we just turn there, Annie, I got to tell you that we are really running out of time here we are still on the gospel account but you know what it's worth it right yep go eat popcorn galatians ephesians philippians colossians thank you ash i needed that yeah ephesians chapter four (laughs) ephesians chapter four verse eight therefore it is said when he ascended on high He led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Hmm. He ascended. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended in the lower parts of it? He descended. uh, He who descended is also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. This, my brothers and sisters, is the mystery of the ascension of Jesus Christ. So that in our humanity, he might bestow upon the world what Adam and Eve were meant to bestow upon the world in the beginning, and therefore divinize creation, fill it with God's life, 
that it might reveal the glory of God. Hmm. It's not by accident that priests go to the altar and do what they do or the baptismal font and do what they do. Jesus ascended in our humanity that in our humanity, he might give gifts to men, which is what Adam and Eve were meant to do in the beginning because they were in the image and likeness of God. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, I apologize. That was my whole talk in like, you know, five seconds. So you go listen to the talk on the ascension of the Lord and, uh, and I'll explain it in more detail. Yeah. Who is the King of glory, a biblical study of the ascension of Christ. All right, Father, you mentioned that you had something you wanted to say about Psalm 66 before we move into actually just simply this. When you realize this gift, when you realize the magnitude of the gift of God, the only proper thing, the only proper way to respond is to say, thank you. Thank you. And that's what the praises are all about. Mm. Look, listen to this. Shout joyfully to, the, to God, all the earth. Sing praise to the glory of his name. Proclaim his glorious. The praises are so beautiful. And which is why they're a part of our liturgical life in the church. It's very tragic in many places. The office is not sung in the church because the praises are the part of the office which properly takes place right before lauds, right? Right before yeah. the divine liturgy, right before the mass begins. I encourage you to go back to the Psalms and pray the praises, sing the praises, but especially Psalm 66 in preparation for this Sunday and make this praise your own. And when you stand before the majesty of God, which is his love and realize that he loves us that much. Yeah. It's a pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. All right, Annie, we are literally going to run out of time if we don't get our act together. So let's yes. go to Acts. <laughs> Acts, let's get our act together and go to Acts chapter eight. And uh, we're doing verses five through eight and then skipping down to verses 14 through 17. Here we go. Okay. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Christ to them. With one accord, the crowds paid attention to what was said by Philip when they heard it and saw the signs he was doing. For unclean spirits crying out in a loud voice came out of many possessed people and many paralyzed or crippled people were cured and there was great joy in that city. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who went down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for it had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Um, okay, so my first question is, who is Philip, and what made him go to the city of Samaria? That's a really good question, Annie. And when I was I was preparing for today, it was the question that came to my mind. I was like, you know, sometimes you don't read this stuff for it. You're like, ah, ah because there's a knock there's out an the apostle. cobwebs. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's an apostle Philip. Yeah. There's and there's a deacon Philip. A deacon Philip, right? Yeah. Because in Acts chapter, in Acts chapter six, verse uh verse uh, what is it, five, you'll see the Stephen and you'll see Philip. These were the calling of the first seven deacons. 
And then in, in, in the passage that we're looking at in chapter 8, you'll notice that right above it in chapter 7 is the stoning of Stephen. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, and then Philip's there. So who is this guy, Philip? Well, the answer, this is why, this is why it's always good to go to the church fathers, because the church fathers asked themselves these questions before, and the church fathers are much smarter than Father Hezekiah. So St. John Chrysostom, it must be noted that the Philip who preached the gospel to Samaria was one of the seven. It's one of the deacons, right? Yeah. That we just looked at. For four, and this is why the fathers are you know, smart. And we could have figured this out if we had time to really think about it. Or if he had been the apostle Philip, he would have been able to lay hands on them himself so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For this is reserved only the pontifical reign. So the gift of the Holy Spirit, which descended upon the apostles, which Jesus blew into their nostrils right in the, uh, the resurrection, and then descended on the, on the um, apostles in the upper room on the on the feast of pentecost now is understood in these earliest days of the church as something proper to the apostles mm. and something which the deacons do not bestow okay um and so philip having gone there it appears as though he's baptized people but that's about as best as he can do yeah so he goes is pretty falls. good i mean let's not yes but, it, baptism. But, but but your question about who this philip is well we know he's not the apostle philip because he would have laid hands on them and they would have received the gift of the holy spirit okay yeah. now i do want to make a clear a, a quick distinction though it's very interesting completely apart from our sunday gospel reflection just a little side note interesting yeah. and that is that that in the earliest days of the church there wasn't really a distinction between priests and, and bishops okay mm. certainly in acts of the apostles and in saint paul's writings you have both terms being used but it 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 does appear as though they're the same the division the distinction between bishops and priests is really something that kind of develops very early very early but at this early stage when we're acts chapter eight there you've got apostles and you've got deacons okay and so the understanding then as the bishops ordain priests elders in the community those elders are given the gift, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to bestow upon the faithful, but as organically received from the bishop. So today in the church, and since very, very early on, priests have confirmed um, the faithful at the order of the bishop. Yes. Sure. And with yeah. the chrism provided by the bishop, you say, well, there's guys that's not true the bishop always comes and confirms everybody not true because on on easter at easter the easter vigil. vigil the bishop can't be at every easter vigil so he tells the priest you go ahead and you 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 confirm in the in the you east in the byzantine babies. tradition yeah i was gonna say yeah that's what, that's nor that's the norm for us yeah and it is still the in the in the in the west as long as the bishop gives permission as it is in the east right the bishop gives permission as a normal occurrence in the east but but in the west nevertheless if the bishop gives permission to the priest he then goes in and confirms yeah okay well that's good that's good to know so yeah. talk about where this is happening samaria okay we've talked about the samaritans before so we don't need to get too much into it but nevertheless you can we'll pull up a map here you can see samaria at the time of christ it's basically the central area uh north of of judea Okay, so just remember going back 
ICC Bible study people. In fact, you should all be able to stop this recording and say exactly what I'm about to say. So try it. Hit stop and then come up with your answer and hit play and see if you said what I was going to say. Okay. So it's this. So, all right. Now that you've hit play again, the Samaritans, the Samaritans were the northern 10 tribes that broke with the throne in Jerusalem, with Judea, with the Jews, with the throne of David, during the life of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, and Jeroboam, the guy who led the, the, the revolt and broke away, right? And you can read about that, my brothers and sisters, in, I'm going to turn to that passage for you as we speak. I'm going to help me, Annie, Second Kings. Second Kings, isn't it usually 17 that we go to? Is it Second Kings? You memorized it. Look at that. Well, I don't know. I might be wrong. Like well, it. yes, you can go to Second Kings chapter 17, verse 24, which is going to give you the conquering, the conquering of those northern tribes, and that which is why the Samaritans are not considered clean, because they're inbred, as you see in verse 24. The Assyrians who had conquered them, conquered the northern ten tribes, imported all sorts of pagan peoples. So they were all intermarried. They were worshiping all sorts of false gods, as you'll see here in verse 24 and following of Second Kings. But the but the background to that whole business, of course, is much earlier in First Kings. So we're going to go back, and I apologize, guys. I should have written this down for you. But here it is in First Kings chapter 11, verse. 26 26 and following you have to read through 20 uh, chapter 11 verse 26 through chapter 12 verse 28 mm-hmm. chapter 12 verse 28 and then just to realize that it is somewhat later on that uh in, in just write this again first kings chapter 16 verse 24 that, that area having been conquered by the Assyrians, cut off from Judea, establishes a throne city before it's conquered by the Assyrians, establishes a throne city called Samaria. And then the whole region is then called Samaria. So this central region of kind of Southern Galilee to Northern Judea, right there in the middle is a bunch of, a bunch of Jewish half-breeds, basically. They're not Jews, they're because Jews are the Judeans, but whatever. You got, you got my point. Okay, so yeah. that's who they are. Okay, so can you talk about the significance of Samaria accepting the word of God? It seems like it's a pretty big deal here. Yes. Um, I would just say, I would say I'd turn you to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 as my opener to say anything about that. So Acts chapter 1, and I know we're turning our Bibles a lot, but it's worth it. Come on, get there. Chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power from the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Okay, sounds like sounds like a gospel passage, right? Yeah. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? So it's what this is, is this gradual opening up, right? This gradual growing yeah. because Samaria is that that those lost so in jerusalem right the throne city judea the tribe that is right is left in the south then the re- restoration of the 10 tribes so they're going to witnesses so these 
all all of the tribes are now going to be included in the kingdom of God again. And then the whole business, right? So Samaria is critically important in this process. Yeah, that's what I would say. Well, I guess they were kind of ripe for that, given the, I mean, I remember talking about the Samaritan woman with you back in Lent. John chapter four. Yeah. Go back yeah. and read the Samaritan about the Samaritan woman, St. Photony, the enlightened one, right? And the, and the city converts and city accepts Jesus as the Messiah. So they're primed. They're ready to go. They're looking for the Messiah. Remember, she says to, to Jesus, when the Messiah comes, they're expecting the Messiah to come. And so they are primed. They're ready to go. And, and so certainly... Uh, in John chapter four is an indication of what's going to happen here now in acts of the apostles. And sure enough, it does happen. Isn't that what you just celebrated in, in the Byzantine liturgy? This past the Sunday yeah, of the past, Samaritan woman? This past Sunday. Yes. The Sunday of the Samaritan woman. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. I love very the story cool. of the Samaritan woman. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, that's all I have for the gospel. Should we read? Uh... Lord have mercy. Not the gospel. We were in acts. We're, we're or, in acts. I'm sorry. I'm once again, I'm getting my head all mixed up because of the Easter season and yep. the order that we're going in. Um, regardless, do you want to go look at the epistle? Yes, but I will leave you with one last. Oh, okay. To the ICC library. And that's my brother's talk titled Blood and Water, a study of the sacraments of initiation. I do believe the title is okay. Blood and Water with Father Sebastian, because that what I was just mentioning about priests, deacons, bishops, the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, a practice of, of priests confirming, things like that, um, that uh, this is a really a wonderful series we did at the ICC about the original unity of the sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist, how they're organically tied to one another, and the ancient practice of bestowing these sacraments upon Babies, not only baptism, but also confirmation and the Holy Eucharist, a whole series of this, because there are a number of dioceses in the United States that are actually restoring the proper order of the sacraments, which is not in their proper order right now. When you think baptism, Eucharist, and then confirmation, that is not the apostolic order. The apostolic order is baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. And if you want to study more about that, listen to my brother's series, Blood and Water. And now we can move on, Annie. Now we can move on to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we are starting with verse 15. Yes. Beloved, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope, but do it with gentleness and reverence, keeping your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who defame your good conduct in Christ may themselves be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that be the will of God, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once, the righteous for the sake of the unrighteous, that he might lead you to God. Put to death in the flesh, he was brought to life in the spirit. Yep. And Annie, I think we can uh, kind of bring ourselves to a conclusion today by giving a plug for what we're all doing here, because we have been given a mission to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ because he ascended into heaven, 
And we have been given a new nature, and that is to do what he does, and that is to give what we have received for others that they might also be saved. That is the mission of the Christian. But of course, today, we are all told to keep our mouths shut and not speak about our faith in public. We cannot abide by this. For God made this so that we could tell others about him. That's why we were created. That's why God sustains our life. And that is the gift which we must rediscover as Christians. St. Didymus the Blind says, We must be so well instructed in the knowledge of our faith that whenever anyone asks us about it, we may be able to give them a proper answer and to do so with meekness and in the fear of God. For whoever says anything about God must do so as if God himself were present to hear him. My brothers and sisters, what a gift we have received. This is not only the mission of the Christians, it's the mission of the Institute of Catholic Culture to equip God's people in such a way that you are able to go out with confidence, with love, to be able to do what God made you to do. Yes, I said, it's not only the priest at the altar with bread and wine. It's you going into your families, into your workplaces, into the grocery store, into every conversation in which you enter, that you might love the other as God has first loved you, that you might reveal the Lord to others as he has first revealed himself to you, that you might give others an opportunity to be saved as you yourself have been given the opportunity to be saved. Our mission, our mission at the Institute of Catholic Culture is to equip you for that. And as St. Didymus the Blind says, we must be so well instructed in the knowledge of our faith that whenever anyone asks us about it, we may be able to give them a proper answer. Yes? Are you that well instructed in your faith? I hope, as members of the Institute of Catholic Culture, you're getting there. I hope that's your answer. I'm getting there. Because Working on it. <laughs> knowledge is a lifelong, uh, you know, formation is a lifelong event. And to be able to bring formation of people that can form you, yes, you're equipped to do so to you so that you can receive not only some knowledge of the faith, but you can be well formed because the dignity which you have as a Christian demands it. It demands it. That's the mission of the Institute of Catholic Culture. And I ask you, and I do have one last quote, by the way, by the Venerable Bede, which is so beautiful that it's worthy of us just having as our conclusion. I ask you to support this mission. And I'm serious about that. Support this mission so that we can have more and more people equipped to do what we're supposed to be doing as the body of Christ out in the world. If Christians are well-equipped to do what Christians are supposed to do, then Christians will do what they're supposed to do, and the, and the world will be what the world is supposed to be. And if you agree with me, then do something about it. 
and help us help all of these people be equipped with the gifts which we deserve to be equipped with. Let's get Monsignor Pope and Father Scalia and Father Sebastian and, and, and Dr. Cutterback and Dr. Rapino forming God's people so that we're ready to go out and go to battle for the Lord, the venerable bead. What does it mean to sanctify God in your heart if not to love that holiness of his which is beyond understanding? In the innermost depths of your heart, think what strength to overcome all enemies God gives to those from whose hearts his holiness shines forth. Act in such a way that those who revile you because they cannot see your faith and your hope for a heavenly reward may see your good works and be put to shame by them because they cannot deny that what you are doing is good. For it is quite certain, my brothers, that those who despise your good behavior will be put to shame when the last judgment comes and they see you crowned along with Christ while they are condemned along with the devil. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is risen. Indeed he is risen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.